0: A locavore is a person who chooses to consume food that is grown, raised or produced locally. This is the Locavore Podcast, brought to you by White's IGA. Welcome to my Locavore podcast. I'm Ros White and this is the podcast where we dig deep into the stories behind the hundreds of locally sourced, artisan, bespoke and innovative products, tasty too, available to you in one location at Whiteside GA on the beautiful Sunshine Coast. Our Locavore program was officially launched in 2013 to showcase and highlight to our customers and to the community where their food and all the locally sourced, grown and created goodies come from and help connect them to the families who create it. But imagine travelling to Germany as a 16-year-old and coming home with 16 kgs of chocolate in your suitcase, also running the risk of a €2,000 excess luggage fee. Perhaps this was the catalyst which sparked a passion to not just understand the true depth of chocolate but to create an award-winning range of innovative and pure quality products where we all love and know as coca-pod CocoaPod is a beautiful boutique manufacturer of high-quality, handcrafted chocolate products lifting the world's perception on what quality truly stands for. Bridget Woolner is the founder and creator of this magical brand, and I can attest there is a little bit of magic in every delightful morsel of cocoa pod chocolate, because Bridget and her team are constantly working to develop and perfect the art of chocolate, and I am absolutely thrilled and delighted to (laughs) welcome Bridget to our Local Wars podcast. Thank Thank you you for joining us. What a lovely intro. Thank you. Oh, well, it's a beautiful, beautiful product. And doing amazing things. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes, it
1: is a labour of love, that's for sure.
0: So you've had enormous success, award-winning this beautiful quality premium chocolate that we are delighted that you produce here on the beautiful Sunshine Coast. Your customer base, the depth, the awareness of, of your brand is just continuing to grow. You've outgrown premises, but you are still based in Budrum here on the Sunshine Coast and perfecting the art of chocolate, which is just gorgeous. Your journey, take me back to the beginning. Your journey started in 2012 while you were on maternity leave as a primary school teacher. So tell me how it began. Where did it all start and how did you get into chocolate? Oh,
1: I wish I had a dollar for every time somebody asked me that. It started as a hobby, genuinely speaking. It was, I was a school teacher on mat leave. My husband was working away overseas for Long periods of time, months on end, and I guess I just was somewhat bored, somewhat frustrated that I my career was on on hold, and I just was just a bit empty, like learning for something to do. That that first year of a baby is is great and discovery and everything, but it's also very lonely. Mm. And we were living far away from my family, and so I just used to read books and and play with cakes and chocolates and more so cakes really, and then I started making wedding cakes for people who were getting married, and I did that for about a year, and then at some point in winter nobody was getting married um, and I had nothing to do, so I started to play with chocolate. And then in order to continue to play, chocolate is a very expensive ingredient to play with, and so in order to buy more chocolate to continue to play, I used to sell the existing chocolates in the markets, then I would get some money and then go back and buy more to play for the next week. And then this went on for a few months. My sister was on maternity leave as well, so she'd come with me. And it was just a means to an end to continue to do what I wanted to do behind closed doors. And then at some point it just... I don't know, it just exploded. People kept coming back. They'd come back week after week for the same thing or the next thing. We got feedback. And and as the time went on, I discovered like different ways of packaging and selling and what worked and what didn't work and was just inspired to kind of test the next trend, I suppose, and just see if what I thought was going to work would work. Then we came into summer and everything didn't work because obviously it's a different season. And so we just worked out different climate control and different weathers and packaging and anyway. And then at some point we picked up a bunch of wholesale. And uh, my husband came home one year. I'd been doing markets for maybe two years by this point. I was still marking Naplan as a teacher. I was still doing a bit of everything. Uh, and then he came home one day and and all of a sudden our domestic home based kitchen, which was registered with council and you know we had everything above board, it was just it was just ridiculous. Like he said to me, you. this is Willy Wonka's house and we're living here. Like you either have to, (laughs) you either have to stop or we have to scale. He was like, you can't keep doing this full-fledged business out of our kitchen because it meant that he couldn't, as a family, we couldn't access the kitchen when I was working. So Mm. the more I'd work, he'd make his like sandwich on the kids' table in the lounge room because he couldn't access the kitchen. Everything was separate. And then at that point I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm not going to stop so you may as well find me a space. And uh, we were in Brisbane at the time. So my husband had this uh, forethought. He called every council from Harvey Bay to Byron Bay to ask about their economic development section, which, wow. to be honest, I didn't even know that was a thing until years later, but he did, and he interviewed, essentially interviewed every council and was like, hey, we've got this, you know, this hobby-slash-business that we're getting a bit of trend, and what what can you offer us? If we move to your region, what do you offer us? And anyway, Sunshine Coast Council had the best platform, I suppose, for food. They had Fan Food and Agribusiness Network, which they introduced us to. They what had a good budget. This? What year was this? This would have been 20... Sixteen. This was happening. So by this point, I yeah. had two children. Uh, one was a baby. One was maybe four or five. So we moved. We went. He went. And found us a space, and we relocated at the end of 2016 into the same space we are in now, which was the factory. That happened there. We just took one shed. Of five and we just, you know, set up a space at the back and we had some, employed some people and we started picking up more wholesale and then we just grew from, from there. I think at that point, I think if you fast forward to today, we've been in that space maybe five and a half years. We now own the building. Mm. We now, at the end of this month, will occupy the entire building, all five sheds. Um, We, our team is you know, has definitely grown. We now maybe stock 300 stockers across Australia. We've done export. Uh Yes, we have heaps of awards. The business has awards. The products have awards. It's, it really has been like a wild journey. And if you had have said to me, you know, all that time back there, that this little like hobby, I suppose, would have turned into something that would feed the families of multiple people as well as our own. i I may not have believed you. Yeah, I know. It's but a- I'm certainly, you know, glad to have pursued what I thought was going to be just a hobby, but it became a dream.
0: For yeah. Sure. Wow. Just your love and passion for chocolate. You are a chocolatier. And mm. wow. Who doesn't want to be a chocolatier? <laughs> Those early days that as a 16 year old, your experiences in Germany, the love for chocolate in Europe. Europeans have this deep love for chocolate and they there's some enormously successful brands that come out of Europe. Is there a connection back to that experience as a 16 year old that sparked maybe that first love and interest in chocolate that actually then inspired you to start playing with it in 2012 when you're a you know a stay-at-home mum?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think my entire childhood was a catalyst for this experience to unfold and it was probably inevitable. It just was a matter of of time, really. As a kid, we we had some allergies. We had dairy and wheat intolerances. So chocolate was like a real treat, like a Mm. real scarcity, a Friday night kind of ritualistic. You get your row or your two pieces, whatever, was the case at the time. And it was like a real savoured experience. It wasn't on hand. We had a pretty clean lifestyle as kids. And then so we used to bake a lot. My sisters and I would bake a lot because you know, we couldn't access a lot of the stuff commercially that we were allowed to eat. So we used to bake a lot of things. So I was always interested in craftsmanship and sweet food and science, I suppose, if you like. And then when I went to Germany for the first time, and I've been four times now, but on the first trip I went on exchange and my host sister, we're still great friends today, 20 years later. Her dad worked for a leading commercial chocolate company and say so they had this cupboard in the house that was no, I would no word of a lie, a Mary Poppins chocolate cupboard. No matter how much you ate, the next day, it wow. was just back in there. And he'd come in at like all God knows what time and just fill up this cupboard. And so I would eat, we'd eat chocolate for breakfast, we'd have hot chocolates, we'd have then chocolate in our lunchbox and chocolate for dinner, and then everything was something with chocolate. It was savory chocolate and sweet chocolate and chocolate for toast. And really
0: was a willy wong. It really was. And no matter what it? you
1: ate, the next day, it was the cupboard was full again. So coming from a childhood which was like such a scarcity thing and then to this like full-fledged cupboard was like that in chocolate itself. Chocolate bath
0: amazing. or like chocolate spa bath, chocolate swimming pool,
1: <laughs> bathing in chocolate. <laughs> Just everything was chocolate. And... And I think maybe that was because their family had such access to it, right? Mm. So then on the way back, yes, I filled my suitcase with 16 kilos of chocolate. And because, I, because the quality over there was so much different than what we had here it was higher quality. I, I, again, I didn't quite understand at the time exactly what it was, but it was just better. It was just smoother and creamier and darker and sweeter, but not sweet all at the same time. And they had nuts and they had just like everything was just amazing. And so I well, I brought it home because I wanted to share it with my family. And on the second trip, I did the same thing. So I was only a couple of years later after this maybe at 19. And that's when I nearly got the $2,000 euro fine at the airport. And oh, that, that was real close. Like if I hadn't flooded my eyelids at that guy, I swear he would have uh. given it to me. But anyway, and every time I'd come back, I'd just be like, everyone has to try like this, this, mm-hmm. this. And, and people were excited about it. Of course, no one near as excited as I was, but I had to share what I, had experience. Yeah. It was it was obsessive. And then, so when I started to play with chocolate, I really started to understand why I was so obsessed with the idea of it because it was so scientific and how did they get that? And, how did, and I remember mm. that chocolate that we ate that time back at that place and I wanted to recreate it almost for nostalgia. And then I really started to fall in love with the science of chocolate, the mm. art of chocolate, the craft. It's really difficult. It's not an easy, yeah, so it's not an easy fee, that's no, for sure.
0: No, and I'm really intrigued to hear and learn more about that. So part of your mantra is where I art meets science, Mm. and I absolutely love that. Mm. That's so, so clever. Tell me a little bit about, and you recognised before that there wasn't necessarily a quality or the same level of quality of chocolate here in yeah. Australia at the time right. it was maybe being made here or manufactured here Sure. what creates beautiful quality chocolate clearly there is a science behind it I mean there's a beauty to it because you, you know the presentation and the presentation yeah. of your Cocoa Pod products is absolutely inspired. it's awe inspiring it's magnificent I love being able to see the beautiful displays in our stores when we walk in and I particularly love those squares oh, that you put cheese. on the grazing platter yeah, the grazing you, oh my gosh yeah. when I see that like it's got whole you know slices of of dried orange, orange yeah. and just glorious like it's a treat just looking at it you don't even have to eat it which is magnificent in itself and that's the art but tell me about the science what is it that creates the magic of and the quality what is the science that goes into it
1: I mean I think the pr- the primary ingredient is is love I feel like anything anytime you make something for someone else you have to love it and if you don't love it it shows on the other end it's like that's just has to be the number one ingredient but I think as far as science goes chocolate itself has so many different like levels of chocolate there's like there's covertures which is your really high premium chocolate that's made with cocoa butter which is is the most expensive ingredient extracted out of the cocoa bean. Then you sort of start to go down from that point, And we only use covertures, but then you can have, you know, ones that are cut, the, cover- the fat can be cut with a palm oil or a synthetic oil or a coconut oil, and then you go down to chocolates which just have no cocoa butter in them and there's just a synthesized fat. And in order to use any of those ingredients, you have to know how those ingredients activated in order to work out what you do with them. For example, we don't bake with our covertures, we bake with a lower grade cover. It's still a coverture, but it's a lower grade. They're not the eating covertures, they're the baking covertures because the fat content is different. You've got to adjust your recipe in order to account for that. Mm. It's not as simple as just switching out chocolate for recipe to recipe. It doesn't work like that. So that really challenged me to understand like why couldn't I just, I was encouraged by other people to switch chocolate to make it cheaper or, you know, you, as you play around and it didn't work and I, mm. I couldn't understand why. And then I, I learned to Understand why. And yet, just the science of the ingredients have a certain way they need to be treated Mm -hmm. in order to react in the way you intend them to be. So So you don't
0: want that grittiness, you want smooth quality. So the the process or the science removes or eliminates any of those sort of anomalies or, you know, things that you don't want to have in the eating. Is Yeah, so
1: to eat you want something that's not gritty, you want a a shine, you want a snap and you want it to sort of like melt like on your tongue, so to speak. If you're baking or anything like that, you might have a different goal. But the goal for eating chocolate is... Just that. So you must temper the chocolate. You must make sure the ingredients that it's a couverture, a high quality couverture. So we mostly use a Swiss couverture, which means that the, you know, the we import the chocolate in from Switzerland. It uses like Swiss milk, and um, pretty much all the cocoa beans come from the same place around on the equator. But then we use a bit of French chocolate, and we use a bit, of, a little bit of Belgian chocolate. It just sort of depends on what we're doing and which to which chocolate we're going to use. Then we take those chocolates and they have notes, they have flavors. It depends on where the beans are growing. It depends on what mm. plantation is next to the bean. Was there a vanilla plantation next door? Mm. How were the beans? Were they sun-dried? Were they, you know, mm. there's all these different processes along the way that changes the finished product. And so then we take the notes just like you would coffee or wine, like a sommelier. And then you work out, okay, what what are the strongest notes? So you have to have a really, really refined palate and then work out what's going to go with it. Is it overpowering? Is it subtle? Is it fruity? Is it nutty? Is it smoky? Is it woody, earthy? Like, And then you have to work out what's going to go with it to complement it or to marry it up. You, do, you cannot just take the same chocolate and put five different things on it and expect it's going to work. It, 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 they either have to work or they don't work. Wow. It's very particular. So part of our unique selling proposition is that we have curated an offering that is going to work. So we are, we're actually R&Ding at the moment as like, million different options but you have to like fully refine everything down to like okay we're going to specifically use this ratio of this chocolate with this much you know balsamic vinegar or whatever because if you don't use balsamic vinegar it doesn't yeah just, everything is just very specific.
0: And what about all the um, chocolate that isn't quite to the standard? What happens to that? <laughs>
1: we have a. Do you have a little. We do Willy have wonka a room. Yes we have a room. Yes we have a space where everybody who visits us is allowed to to pick something out of the box. So I guess that's part of it. Like we have a waste bucket, but it's not really that full. And because we know what we're doing mm-hmm. and one of us will eat it or mm. we'll take it home or we'll share it or someone visits us. I mean, it's not really waste. Chocolate's very forgiving. It is as a science. You can, you know, remelt it. You can, yeah. you know, you can do a lot of things with it if you've made a mistake, but not everything, most things you can work around. Mm. But yeah, the science of it, understand the science of it is the true nature of a chocolatier. Mm. There's a lot of people that feel like, oh, I'm just going to make some chocolate. And I didn't know what I, I knew, I know a lot now, but of I course. didn't know a lot back then. It was yeah. just purely play. And I feel like having had the opportunity to be able to play allowed me to learn. And yes, I went to Switzerland and I did study in Switzerland. I went to Melbourne, did study in Melbourne. I did a lot of different studies with lots of different people along the way to really like understand different parts of it but um yeah just going into the kitchen and making chocolate I look back now and I think oh gosh I remember doing things that I didn't understand why I would do them but I would do them because they worked mm. now I understand why they, yeah that's amazing they did and them, that's but, that
0: is what uh, you know that's your expertise isn't it and that's how now you now so yeah, yeah sure. and that takes time and trials tribulations and values creating yeah. something that's kind of like oh that wasn't good or and and but that patience Perseverance.
1: And my team are extremely, they love their jobs. They love their workplace. They love getting close to the action. They love being part of anything to do with like, sometimes, you know, they'll bring me a spoon of chocolate and be like, hey, like nobody put the sign on the tank and we don't really know which chocolate it is. Like, can you tell us? Maybe their palate can't pick it up as easy as mine can, yeah. but they love the the challenge and the idea of like, and they'll, they'll be like, hey, I thought it was this. Like, can you confirm? And they'll be excited about the fact that they could tell which different chocolate it was because mm. the notes are really, really similar.
0: Do you have a base? Do you start with a base so that all that blending and the refinement to make sure you have the creaminess and the beautiful ind- individual unique flavour that is Cocoa Pod? Do you use that as a base mostly? And then how do you add flavours to it? So if you want to add chilli or I don't know, um, or even, even adding like your beautiful macadamia yeah. nut.
1: The base ingredient for Cocoa Pod is quality. So we have to work with quality ingredients no matter what. Like there is literally no substitute for quality. So we will find like you know the best macadamias or the best chili or the best raspberries or the best whatever and then we put them all out and then we taste the chocolate and then we work out what goes good together. but best quality chocolate, best quality ingredients, lots of time and love and patience and effort to put it together and then we always have a good quality product when it finishes and then we just replicate that. So without starting with quality ingredients in the beginning we wouldn't be able to produce a quality product. Yeah the ingredients that is, of being quality that is. is the key. That is the sure. thing. Much like the war program, which is all quality.
0: Ah, oh, and that's why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> Are there things that you've done that haven't worked? You know, like combinations of flavours. Yes, I understand in the base and, the, and you know, getting that right. But maybe a combination of flavours that you thought, oh, I'm just going to try this. I'm going to go there. You may have got your inspiration from, you know, the local market or something thinking, oh, a zucchini and chilli. Yeah. Let's try that. Yeah, I'm, definitely. I imagine that wouldn't of... be a combination but <laughs> and you have success and that's fantastic. Fantastic, that's on our on our shelves for people yeah. to to buy and beautiful and celebrate. But what what are the things that you kind of go? On? Oh, work. that didn't work.
1: It's hard because it's all subjective to like to to opinion. So we have this, this group, it's called Project X, and it's like a tasting group if you like private. It's about 100 members. And every time we go through an R&D process, we will send out version one or version two, wherever we're up to, and be like, what do you think? Mm. So we'll produce a whole heap of things that, and then we'll have our opinions, but then we want their opinion. So I, we did it. Are about to do it again this quarter, but we haven't done it for a few years. But the last time we did like chai, coffee, and we did them on different like white milk, dark, like different blends, different variations. And people came back for chai as an example. I love drinking. I love mm. chai, I don't actually drink coffee, mm. I love chai. Everybody said we like to drink our chai, and not eat it. And it was like, Oh, I thought that product was really good. But yeah. the customer was like yeah. consumer was like, It mm. just gotta be right
0: for them. They're the yeah. ones, aren't and they? If you I can
1: only pick, you know, we don't you don't want to release everything, you want only to pick a certain number. And they're yeah. like, If you had to pick, well, I wouldn't pick that one. Yeah. And so yeah, so there are flavors that don't work. We've had a few different curly ones. We've got well, we've got like a raspberry and beetroot that works in one of our other brands, she wouldn't think would work. But we tried the raspberry beetroot on a dark, it didn't work. So then we made it on a vegan white. So, you know. You have to... The combination might work, but then you have to find the chocolate that mm. it's going to marry with.
0: What's what's in a vegan white? So obviously most largest content of what we know is, is dairy. Yeah. What's vegan?
1: So the vegan chocolate or free from dairy, if you like, is where the, the dairy component is is replaced with a nut component. So like an almonds or coconut or cashews or, or something it does make the product more expensive. It's less accessible. There's a bit of science behind how you're going to make that work because dairy nuts are an allergen. Copot is a HACCP-approved facility, so we have so you know, procedures in place which eliminate the allergen risk for our consumers. So yeah, we're talking like separate tanks, separate areas for those products. But essentially it means that the coverage has been developed Instead of using dairy, it's replaced with a nut milk.
0: Yeah, like. like a cashew milk or mm-hmm. a, you coconut know, coconut milk yes, or an almond it, milk. Yeah. yeah,
1: sometimes you can barely tell. Maybe there, sometimes you can tell. Depends on how strong the blend is. But um, for the most part, we have some products that are in the milk space, a dairy milk that not a white chocolate, but a, a milk chocolate, and the exact same product, one in dairy milk, one in not, mm. and you would have trouble working out which. That's was incredible. Which, yeah. Wow. So yeah, it can be really, and it's really inclusive too. It's really great for people who do have dairy intolerances or vegan. That's
0: thing that's really significant to me uh, is understanding that if it's dairy free or vegan it's suitable for people that are lactose intolerant or a whole pile of other special dietary requirements it doesn't necessarily mean that you that's your vibe or based on many many things isn't it and it's fabulous to have those options out there. And especially
1: in the gifting space too when somebody wants to gift something to somebody else and they're not sure of their lifestyle choice or they are sure of their lifestyle choice they can find something in our range Mm. that will Suit them. Yeah. So, whether it be dairy free, nut free, vegan, you yeah. know, white chocolate, milk chocolate, super dark chocolate, they maybe, you know, really, you know, prefer the bitter side. Mm. There's something really for everybody in the range.
0: You just mentioned Project X. I'm intrigued to know how do you get onto that little team? <laughs>
1: you don't. It's invite only. Oh, oh! I'm crippled. I've never had uh, an invite. we Maybe, wait, maybe ready for an update. We, def- we have 100 people, but maybe we're ready to add some more.
0: Oh, yeah. So it's an exclusive group, hey, of it Sunshine is. Coasters? Uh, that- no,
1: no, no. It's just it's just people that I believe have conviction of opinion that's of the same quality that we're looking for. So they're sort of people that we've collected along the way, friends, family, cons- customers that have the same sort of palette. Um, they're a target market. They, they're they allowed to try the product, but also they're, they're able to give us the feedback that we need in a constructive way to make something better or worse. And we always use them when we're releasing new flavours. What, what do you think? Would you like this? And, and they have to have a somewhat refined palette. We're looking for people that prefer Further quality, they're curated Mm. as our customer. They're more, they're they're educated. They they're a bit more discerning. um, They're clear in communication. They can tell us what they think in a really constructive way. So.
0: That's oh. how you get on the group. Well, there's my next life's goal getting <laughs> on to Project X. Tell me, walk me through a day in the life of a chocolatier developing those fabulous products. Okay, we have some beautiful chocolate coated macadamias here. So you need to source your beautiful macadamias. Where do yours come from?
1: We buy Queensland macadamias. Of course um, you do. We source them locally and yep. then we, we sort them to start with because there's a, you know, you get a bit of halves and holes in the in the box. And then those particular nuts, we caramelize them. By hand, yeah. we've scaled that process from uh, literally standing over a pot on a on a flame to a to a bigger machine with the process still over a flame. So they put a layer of like a caramelized sugar, like a toffee almost, around the outside of the nut, and that in itself is extremely Moorish. But then we go further and put it in a big drum, which is like a big. Almost like a big concrete mixer, but but actually not a concrete mixer, designed for specifically to chocolate, and that turns and tumbles, and we add layers and layers and layers and layers of chocolate until mm. until they expand and become to the ratio that we like, and even that that has a ratio recipe because too much chocolate you can't taste the nut too less chocolate then the nut's too strong. Everything is very specific and then they're either coated with like a cocoa dust or a metallic powder or something that continues on with that flavour. So Mm. the milk chocolate has a really dark cocoa powder because the milk chocolate's sweeter. The dark chocolate doesn't have as dark a cocoa powder because it's already dark. So yeah, everything is just really specific. The the biggest machine we have to do is about 60 kilos at a time of those but we have three different size machines Mm. so depending if we're doing a small batch or a big batch or a trial batch but the macadamias are then jarred and then they have have this beautiful like hexagonal, you know, triangular casing around as packaging and they're perfect for gifting. They're Mm. really gifty. They're They're definitely our, our hero product. They're the thing we're like most known for is the Mac Nuts. And they come in, um, yeah, five different flavors. So, yeah, we definitely are very fond and proud of this. This is one of the original ingredients. And, too, I remember making them by hand in a bowl and putting them in the staff room at school and selling them. They didn't last long. Mm. But back then, they were much cheaper than they are now because obviously inflation and Mm. nuts are. Pretty much doubled, but yeah. uh, the teachers loved them. Yeah, they would buy them and try them, and I try different flavors. And beautiful, and, yeah, it's a really cool story.
0: So, how long does it take to bring a product like that to life? So, from the process of the caramelization of the nut, the chocolate coating, and then coming to the sitting on the shelves of Whites IGA. So, what sort of time frame are we looking at to that- sort of create that magnificent? Product and deliver it to our store, so we can and present that to our yeah. fabulous community. Everything
1: that we do at CocoaPods very fresh, like quick turnaround. Being small, small producer, we're able to do that. We could make the caramelization, make the nut one day, and then jar them up and have them to your store the next day. Mm. It's, it's simple. Is it incredible. is a very quick turnaround, assuming that we have everything, you know, in stock and everything that we can work with. But, yeah, we you pre- we essentially couldn't do them in one day, but you could definitely turn them around in two. Wow, so.
0: that's amazing. Yeah. So if anyone wants a palette of macadamia, of <laughs> uh, chocolate are very, coated very fresh. They are macadamia nuts, rich. we can sort that out within <laughs> 72 hours. We've just got to tell oh. Bridget and make sure she doesn't have a, a conniption along the way. <laughs> <laughs> You've had some, you know, wonderful and well-deserved acknowledgements, and we've talked about that in two thousand. 2019, you won a small business award for food and agribusiness on the beautiful Sunshine Coast. Been some real standouts for you. Do you pinch yourself sometimes to sort of, you know, where you are now as a chocolatier and a fabulous, uh, outstanding businesswoman from 2012, not that long ago, 10 years, you know, mm-hmm. that little that little baby that you were nurturing 10 years ago is now a-, a, about, a, to a yes. about to turn 11. About to turn 11. right. And you've achieved so much. You know, your brand has come such a long way. You've learned so much. You're really honing your skills. Yeah, You must must just pinch yourself sometimes and wonder where this journey is going to continue to go and grow.
1: I'm definitely excited to see where it is going. I feel like I'm not that surprised, to be honest, because I'm working really hard for it. So like everything is a direct result of my efforts. And as a family, my husband as well, like he's now fully on board. At first, I mean, he probably was indulging my idea of a hobby and he was away and he probably was just thinking, oh, at least she's busy. She's distracted and she's doing, you know, keeping her happy. But now like he, he's, you know, fully involved in, in our operation's. As well, so it's definitely a direct result of all of our import yeah, to get to this this far. I'm I'm proud that I pursued. I think more than anything because I feel mm. like it, it's like so many times you could have easily just stopped because it's it is it is all consuming. It's, mm. it is it is obsessive. I am obsessed about cocoa pod if you like or chocolate, and it it does control. Um, everything. But I feel like if it wasn't this, it'd just be something else. Yeah. It would just be something else. Mm-hmm. It would be my teaching career. It would be my, yes. the kids in my classroom. That's it would in be your my It would be something. And I think from an early stage with my husband, he was a commercial saturation diver, which takes him all over the world for long periods of time. And I felt like if I just stayed a teacher and I loved teaching and I still love teaching, but I felt like I would never replace, he would always be FIFO. felt like he would always be away and that would be that would be it. I'd be a teacher he'd be away and then uh, I wouldn't be available to come to my kids' sports days or mm. assembly or whatever and neither would he because he was away and then my kids would have nobody. So I was like, if I don't do something now, so that's what it's going to look like. And so I just kept going, like just kept persisting and then I, I think I didn't give away teaching in the classroom until I had my second. By the time I had my third child, I was well and truly full-fledged as an employed in the business. And then my husband now is on a, it's called a half roster. So he's only away 50% of what wow. he yeah. was. So we're like we're nearly there. Mm. and The goal essentially is to get to the point where he, he has a choice and mm-hmm. if he wants to go and stay 5 well, that's his choice and he can he's not, not at the mercy of needing to but we're nearly there and mm-hmm. so he also is like I'm so glad you pursued this I'm now older when our kids are now older, our kids need us more, want us more, want us more home. And I don't want to be away as much as I was. And so I'm really, really proud of just keep keeping going, I suppose, mm. and staying passionate about it. Yeah. And if you're not passionate, and you don't love something. It doesn't drive you. That that's what motivates you. It's not totally. money. It's not status. It's it's just the love of it. And if you don't love it behind closed doors when no one's looking, you're never going to love it when the spotlight's on you.
0: Absolutely. So I, I think agree more. when I used
1: to do it yeah. just at home, to myself, for no one else other than for myself, that's the key. Yeah, to scale that.
0: And it's so true, Bridget, you know, if you don't have that love or passion or purpose, it's very hard to keep going sometimes and that is the very thing that continues to drive you when things are hard. There's always hurdles and, and challenges. If you don't get to where you are to have success and that, through that perseverance and looking forward and growing, you know, that just that that doesn't happen. You yeah. need some sort of factor that's going to keep you there on task focused, knowing, looking ahead at the goals and your aspirations and how, yeah. how you're going to get there. How do you get on with Hubby uh, in yeah. the business?
1: Good. We don't work together so much. We definitely have different parts of the business that we're doing. We have some other businesses as well that we're doing together as well, and we have different roles in those. And so Cocoa is just like one of several. But I think the key is to work on our own strengths. So he has areas he's better at, mm. and I have areas I'm better at. And in those areas, I trust his judgment and he trusts my judgment. And that's very much like that's very much the key. So, yeah. Yeah, we get along really well when we're working on our things that we're best at.
0: Beautiful. If you have a motto in life, maybe something that does drive you, that you live your life by, what would that be? The
1: motto, I think, changes as you grow. Obviously, you never really stay the same. But I guess at the moment, I would say my motto probably would be like, go hard or go home. I feel like if you're not 100% sold out to your convictions. No one else will believe you. And if you're not there to like make a change and 100% commit to it, then don't bother. Like because nobody needs any sort of half-assed thing in the market or half-assed business or half-assed person or half anything. That people. It's like, give me everything or give me nothing. Perfect. Because I don't want to experience something that's not worthy of being so loved and so desired and so passionate and I personally am 100% sold out to my own convictions in CocoaPod and in business and I would love to see more people go hard or go home.
0: Yeah, and you've proven that conviction just through your sheer tenacity and determination but also the perfection of bringing art and science together through CocoaPod and I have the absolute delight of being able to present your magnificent products to our customers. And
1: we love your support too.
0: Absolutely love everything you do, your brand, what it represents, you and your family, the story. Thank you so much much for sharing all that with us today, Bridget. There is no substitute
1: for quality, that's for sure. It's far greater than taste. Love your work. Thank you, Roz.
0: See ya. A locavore is a person who chooses to consume food that is grown, raised or produced locally. This is the locavore podcast brought to you by White's IGA.